love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. You know, I remember from when I was little, I always said that I wanted a marriage like my parents. They were devoted to each other. They were similar. They had experienced similar things in their lives, and yet they were also very different. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. This week's love story belongs to Rebecca Holtzman. Her family history is an extraordinary tale of survival, strength, and resilience. Rebecca's parents both separately made it through one of the world's most horrific chapters and lived to tell the story and leave a legacy of love. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is a different kind of love story. And as I was thinking before we hit record today, it's it's a love story that's got love everywhere you look. That's a good way of putting it. Absolutely. Do you want to start with the love story between your parents? Sure. <laughs> I could do that. We're going to um, get to a very interesting photo, uh, a fascinating photo a little later on in our conversation. But first, let's talk about how your parents met. So both my parents are survivors of the Holocaust. Um, and uh, my dad uh, was sponsored to come over to Canada on the last boat of Jewish orphans under 21 that was allowed into the country. He was here for quite some time, and my mom actually came over on a visitor's visa to visit her cousins in Toronto uh, just for six months, uh, a spur-of-the-moment kind of trip back in 1964. My dad belonged to a synagogue in our small town, and uh, that was want at the time in, in that congregation. My dad was single, and uh, there were some kind women who wanted to <laughs> set him up on a date. To so find a nice Jewish the, girl. That's right. <laughs> one of the women approached my dad um, at Friday night services and said, look, I know a nice girl. You know, would you be interested? And my dad was very well brought up and said, of course, but, you know, I would be happy to take her out. And the lady said, great, here's her phone number. And my dad took it and uh, put it in his pocket and then went about his business. <laughs> now, my dad had been through a lot during the war and he had a terrible memory, an awful memory. Mm -hmm. And the week went by and the next Friday, he went back to services at the synagogue and the woman came over and said, look, you know, I totally understand if you don't want go out with her that's perfectly fine but don't say you're going to ask her out and then not do it and make me look bad and my dad was incredibly apologetic because he had 
completely forgotten. And he said, absolutely, I'm going to call her, my apologies. And so he went home and that Sunday he called my mom and uh, made a date to see her the next week. So that Friday night after work, he got into his car, he drove to Toronto and uh, went to his cousin's place, got all changed and uh, fixed up and everything, picked up my mom, they went out for dinner and um, my mom didn't speak any English uh, and my dad didn't speak any French, my mom was from Belgium. And so they spoke Yiddish together and they had a fabulous time. Um, you know, they had lots that was in common and they spent a really nice evening together. And the end of the meal came and the waiter dropped off the check. Dad, of course, reached into his pocket to pull out his wallet. And then he paused and he reached into his other pocket to pull out his wallet. Oh, no. And then he started to pack himself down. And my mom is looking at him. And he realized that he had left his wallet uh, on the dresser at my cousin's place. And he was so embarrassed. And so he managed to choke out and apologize and ask if it would be possible if mom could pay for dinner and he would take her right back to my cousin and you know give her the money. And my mom, of course, gave him a look and was wondering what kind of person would do something like this. Is this what happens in Canada? But she agreed and she paid. And my dad took her right back to my cousin's and paid and then asked her out right away for the next weekend. And for some reason, my mom said yes. <laughs> and then they continued to see each other uh, week after week for uh, about three months. And then they got engaged. And three months after that, they were married. Wow, and everyone was happy, including the matchmaker. I think so. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love the fact that he redeemed himself by being sure to ask her out right away before they left that first date. <laughs> I think he realized that he was incredibly lucky to find someone so understanding. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. I, I just had a flash. Imagine if they could have known that decades later their daughter would be talking about that date on a podcast that would go across the country i don't think there was anything that would ever cross their mind uh, you know they never thought of themselves as having this amazing magical story um it's only others when you tell it to them that you know make that realization so mm -hmm. yeah well, the extraordinary thing about their story is that date, while it sounds relatively normal, was incredible because of what they had both lived through. So let's let's start with your mom's story and then move on to your dad's. Is that okay? Absolutely. So um, my mom uh, was born in Belgium in uh, a small town just outside of Brussels called Charlevoix. Um, and uh, she was a young child um, when the war broke out. It was just her at the time. Um, and eventually the war started to affect Belgium. It was later on than some of the other countries. Um, but all of the restrictions started to happen there. And so my grandparents decided that it just wasn't safe anymore. And they uh, were going to go into hiding with my mother. And for a year, they hid together 
as a family in various places um, throughout. There was an underground that helped them and placed them in places. And as time went by, that became more and more dangerous. And so at that point, they decided that um, they wanted to place my mother in um, hiding separately. Um, and it was decided that she would be taken and placed in a convent. There were a number of convents in Belgium that were taking um, children and uh, protecting them during the war. So someone came and uh, took my mother away, and my grandparents didn't know where she was placed, and that was for everyone's safety, so their safety, my mother's safety, um, people in the underground as well. My grandparents were discovered, actually, and sent to Auschwitz and Dachau, where they miraculously, very miraculously, survived mm. um, and found their way back to their home together and then uh, were able to discover where my mom was placed. And my grandfather went to um, go and pick up my mother. And so we went to the convent. Mom was in class at the time. One of the nuns brought her into the office. And there, my grandfather was standing. And my mom was very young at the time. They know, you remember who this is. My mom took one look and said, yes, that's my father. And ran into his arms. Mm-hmm. And they went back to my grandmother and, uh, yeah, continued their life there. Wow, that to me sounds like a cascade of miracles had to happen for that reunion to take place. Absolutely. It, it really is. It's a miraculous story. I remember so vividly reading the story of Anne Frank when I was a, a child and the impact it had on me because I was simultaneously learning so much about the Holocaust and about the war and and all framed in a reference of this girl who was my age. I can only imagine how it impacted you because your mother, your mother basically lived that. Yes, it was it was a huge impact. And I knew um, from when I was very young, I don't remember a time of not knowing that my parents were survivors. Um, they were very open about that. Um, they spoke about it at home, and if I ever had any questions, they would always answer them. They don't, didn't necessarily speak about it openly outside of the home. It's not like everyone knew. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was something that was ingrained. It was who I was. I was the child of two survivors mm-hmm. to this day. Wow. And we've only heard your mother's story so far. Your father's story is another miracle waiting to be told. So please, please go back and tell us his story. So my father was from Poland, Krakow. Uh, and he was also very young during the war. He was a teenager. Um, he came from... Um, what would be considered a modern Orthodox home there. Um, my grandfather was a furrier. Um, they were comfortable, for sure. So, And 
um, when the war broke out, uh, Poland was obviously the first country that was um, hit and hit the hardest. Uh, immediately, the ghetto was set up in Krakow, and my grandparents and my dad and siblings were forced out into the uh, out of their home and into the ghetto. Um, and uh, what happened in the ghetto was um, often there would be what was called roundups. So you could just be walking along the street and a dragnet would be um, enforced and people would be swept up and put into the trains and sent to the camp, which is exactly what happened to my dad and his father. Um, they were swept up one day walking along. And your dad was how old then? 14. Yeah. Yeah, 14, 15. Wow. So, um, and they were sent to Treblinka. That was the first camp that my dad was sent to. And Treblinka um, was an extermination camp. Uh, and they went forward through a selection where one of them was sent one way and the other was sent the other way. And my dad never saw his father again. And they didn't know. He didn't know about the camps. He didn't know how they worked or what they were or what was happening. And he, again, was a very young man, a teenager. Um, no one could comprehend that this could possibly be happening. And so he was alone in this camp with very few other people. Um, because most people were taken to the showers and then um, crematoria. Uh, and he didn't know anything about it. He didn't know how to survive. Um, and then something truly miraculous happened. So time went on um, and God did his best to go on. Um, and one day, German guard was looking at him and dad knew that that was not a good thing and so he kept his head down and just kept going and the guard kept looking at him until a few days passed and the guard called him over and of course my dad had no recourse but to go over as much as he didn't want to no way that he couldn't so he approached the guard and the guard asked him how old he was. So dad told him. And uh, then the guard asked him, what are you doing here? And my dad just stopped and looked at him. He was, couldn't believe that the guard was asking him such a question. What was the trick here? Um, and dad was you know, in his head very quickly trying to think of how he was going to respond because you know, the idea was to live. You didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize that. And his life could literally have depended on his answer. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, um, but at the same time, the question made him feel very angry. Um, and so he looked at the guard uh, and he said, what do you mean? What do you mean, what am I doing here? You know what I'm doing here. Um, and the guard looked at him again 
dad thought, oh, no, this isn't going to be good. And he just said, go on your way. And so dad went off as quickly as he possibly could and just did his best to try and stay out of his way. A few more days passed and the guard called him over again and asked him again, what are you doing? You're 14 years old. Where is your family? You shouldn't be here. You should be with your family. And dad, you know, just listened, didn't say anything this time. And, uh, and the guard said to him, this is what I'm going to do. Come to the gate tomorrow night and I will be there. When you come, I'm going to unlock the gate and turn my back. When I do that, you run. Oh my gosh, just hearing you say that, my my stomach has so much tension in it. What an incredible, and do you trust the guard? You know, so many questions. Exactly. You don't know. You you don't know anything about these people except for the fact that they're putting you through all of this. So my dad, you know, was wondering, what should he do? And there was no one to speak to. There was no one to ask. You know, he, he didn't know. Again, he was so young and, and, you know, was this a trick? This is some sort of, you know, new torture that the guard wanted to put him through? What, what did he do to, you know, bring this attention upon himself? And so all that day, he was thinking about it and thinking about it. And he didn't know what he was going to do. But the night came and he said, if there's any chance that this could be true, I have to take it. So he went. He went to the gate. And there was the guard, just like he said. The guard saw him. And he unlocked the gate. And he pushed it open a little bit. And he turned his back and he walked a few steps away. My dad looked. And he waited, but not long, a split second. And he ran. My dad ran. And nothing happened. No shots. Nothing. He got away. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, it's that just too much story. to conceive of. <laughs> There's so much there, you know, it's it's unbelievable, but that story has always stayed with me and always, I, even now, I've told that story, how many times I've heard that story, how many times, and to this day, um, it, it affects me. Hmm. You know, Viktor Frankl, who, of course, was a Holocaust survivor, uh, famously said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. And that quote just comes rushing into my head when I hear you tell the story about your dad and that guard. Yes, it's a perfect fit. Absolutely. Okay, so you said that they talked within your family home about their experiences, which would make them different than a lot of people who just shut it down and and locked it away, for sure. Um, But I'm wondering, did they talk about how it impacted them emotionally? That was less so. There was less 
talk about that and it was just something that I could see. Mm-hmm. There were nights that um, my dad would wake up from a nightmare and go into our den and read the newspaper or watch the TV, unable to go back to bed. Um, there were days where mom would just need to sit quietly, have some time, sit quietly, thinking about remembering, being impacted. And sometimes it could be from absolutely nothing. Sometimes something that would seem minor or that would have no connection could bring back something. Okay, speaking of bringing back something, um, that takes us to the photograph that you happened to stumble over one day. What a fascinating story. Yeah. Yeah. So after my dad escaped from Treblinka, he made his way back to um, the Krakow ghetto uh, to see if he could get back to um, his mom and his siblings. They had been picked up themselves by then, and so he was alone in the ghetto. And it wasn't long after that that the ghetto was liquidated, and he was sent to flash up the next camp that he went to. And then after that, he was sent to Mauthausen, and from there, Melk, and eventually Abensay, which is where he was liberated from. One day, years ago, when I was uh, in university, I came to Toronto to visit some friends and family, and there was a Holocaust exhibition going on, so of course I went to see it. And I was walking through the exhibition, and I was looking at the pictures, um, and, uh, you know, terribly moved and affected. And I came to one of the last pictures within the exhibition, and I stopped and I looked at it. And I remember just being very drawn to it. It was a liberation picture. And uh, there were a number of men gathered together. And they were all survivors, and you could see um, what they had been through captured in this picture. Mm-hmm. And so I began to move away to move on to the next picture, and for some reason, I stopped and I turned back and I went back to the picture and looked again. And I saw that it was a picture of liberation uh, from Abensay, and I knew that's where dad was. And there was this one face that I was so drawn to. I looked again, and in that moment, I knew. And I actually remember that I had to stop, and I reached out my hand to the wall that was right near me just to support me for a moment. Mm-hmm. Because there was my dad in that picture, in that moment. And we had no idea that this picture existed, that there was a picture of dad and other people from liberation. None of that. It was incredibly powerful. 
Oh, wow. Well, this is just, uh, it's a profound story that you've told us. And I can't tell you how grateful I am that you would be willing to share it because I think so many people can learn from it. But I'd also like to zero back to love and ask you what you feel you got from your parents. What is, what is the enduring thing that you feel you received or inherited from your parents? One of those things is this incredible inner strength. You know, I remember from when I was little, I always said that I wanted a marriage like my parents. They were devoted to each other. Mm -hmm. They were similar, they had experienced similar things in their lives, and yet they were also very different. But they had what I call a selfless devotion to each other. It was mirrored and reflected back between them. And it was amazing to see. They weren't overtly, you know, loving. Not that they weren't loving, but um, but it was just this complete selfless devotion to each other. And I know it sounds a little old-fashioned, and some people would say, "Really, is that you know?" There are so many other different kinds of love. Absolutely, and you know, I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but it's something that I aspired to do and wanted to find and to give. Well, that quiet affection that I hear you talking about has so much power when you consider the history behind it. Yes, and... and that was it, that they were able to find that together and that they were able to express that between each other and towards me and towards other people as well. Another miracle after what they went through. Neither of them were um, bitter or or hateful yeah. at all. Incredible. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, there was no love lost, um, you know, with Germany or with Poland. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'd say there's like, there was little to no forgiveness there either. Uh, and that's something that I struggle with on an ongoing basis. But that they were able to focus and say, no, I'm going to not only live my life, but live my best life. I'm going to find someone, fall in love, create a family, have children, and have people in my life. And because of everything that was taken away from them, especially family, my dad was the only survivor of his whole extended family. And that idea 
of family and redefining it that it didn't have to be only blood it had to be people that you loved and cared for and that you had that selfless devotion for and you had that loyalty to and that was huge uh, and the family that they created in our hometown of you know fellow survivors and people within the congregation and people just from the city um, that 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 is again seeing that that is how I wanted to live my life that is what I wanted for myself that is what I wanted for my kids okay well <laughs> I have to go home and cry for a couple hours now. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just, I just find it, I, I really find it uh, profoundly moving. It's a really beautiful story, and I'm, I'm very grateful that you shared it with us. Thank you. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I, you made it incredibly easy. Thanks so much for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is brought to you by Charm Diamond Centers, Canada's largest family-owned jewelry store. They are proud to be putting love on the map. And the staff at Charm Diamond Centers are thrilled to be a part of your love story too. So visit charmdiamondcenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. This podcast is made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. Starter.